Hi, welcome to Swordnut Radio. In this episode, me and Billy sit down and discuss weaponry and armour and such like in the real world and how that can help you in your role-playing game. It's something I've been threatening to do for a while now and I, I don't know if people like it, if people would don't or whether this is just a, a massive waste of time. So if you find it useful, if you like it, let us know. And if you don't, let us know as well and we won't do any more. So get in touch with us, give us your thoughts on swordnutradio at gmail.com or at swordnut on Twitter. Let's get to it. I want to talk about weapons and armor and stuff because, I mean, it's come up a few times in the podcast. I don't know if we made it terribly clear, um, but I teach historical European martial arts. And that's kind of like saying I teach Asian martial arts. It's, it's, it's very nebulous. I specifically teach Lichtenauer's longsword, dagger, and sword and buckler. Um, and uh, I'm looking at Gigante's rapier, which is a 17th century style rapier style, and um, saber in the manner of uh, various 19th century sources, mostly British uh, sources, so military saber. And I've been doing martial arts of other sorts for my whole life. And you were one of my students. I was indeed. Hmm. So you know you way around a longsword pretty well. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we were doing rapier or sabre at that time. We've done a bit of backsword, haven't we? We had done, yeah. What what sort of constantly irks me about role-playing games is how... Well, firstly, the cult of the katana. and Oh my god, the cult of the katana pisses me off. And... They're, they're, they're taking these weapons and then displaying them in, in a sort of a fantasy style, and it's doing it a disservice. And you're missing a trick. So it's not a, a case of looking at all these things and going, "Oh no, that's not accurate." So and, and trying to take the fun out of it and saying, "Well, it's a different world. There's elves, there's magic, and all that sort of stuff." Why are you getting pissed off that this Warhammer has a? 17 pound head on it it's like you know this big stone head on it um and it's it's not a case of that it's not accurate it's a case that you're missing fun with this you're missing the idea that this is an, a weapon you can finesse it's a weapon you can do things with rather than mm. i hit it with my hammer so i would like to sort of start a, a bit of a discussion about that kind of thing to say to role players Here's some historical accuracy, but here's, let's make it a bit cooler. Yeah, let's let's make the role-playing games a bit cooler. Because we can see when you're saying, how do you take this guy out? You know, when you get a crit, how do you crit? You know, and it's not about, oh, I do five somersaults first and then hit them with my hammer. It's, what do you do? Or someone misses you. What happens? So um, it's not a case of roll the die. Oh, he doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't hit. Your, your AC, so he misses. Right, okay, fine. Why couldn't you have done something? You know, why couldn't you have done something interesting to make him miss? So that, I think, is, is the thrust of this discussion, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. But firstly, I want to talk about Warhammers, specifically, because it, it's, it's a big thing for fantasy. And I want to talk about uh, shields, so bucklers, kite shields, and tower shields and stuff. First off, right, the Warhammer. Um, so tell me, what 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 do you what do you? Because I've right, I, I've got a bit of background as well as I'm an archaeologist by trade, and I did my dissertation on medieval weapons, and um, so so I know a lot about various different types of weapons. So uh, let let's let's see what's going on. So what do you understand about the term Warhammer? What comes to mind? 
to be on a games workshop. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, I think it's generally conceived that, um, the Warhammer is just a big lump of either metal or rock on the end of a stick, hmm. basically. And if I'm correct, it was a bit more like, I don't know, like a snow pick, was it, or something? So so you'd essentially have like more like a traditional kind of shaped hammer at one side, but then you'd have a point on the reverse. Mm -hmm. And one was for blunt trauma, another one was for like piercing, I think. So that that's kind of because yeah, I I'm probably going to be devil's advocate for you in this conversation where you you will have all the uh, the exact details and I'll probably have all yeah. the bastardized fantasy details that yeah. everyone else is well, thinking. I don't necessarily want to say that the fantasy thing is going to be wrong because you know it's a fantasy world maybe that's how they're designed fine. Yeah. Um, but in in the real world, a warhammer, you're absolutely right. Usually it was a one-handed weapon. It was usually about two feet long with a, a wooden haft or a, a hollow metal haft. There weren't many solid metal things. And what they found is that those metal ones, generally speaking, weren't as strong as the wood ones because they had to be hollow for weight and so they would bend. And then you have a head on the end and the head is usually about a two-inch long hammer, so like a two-inch cube, basically, on the, on one side, and then a four-inch spike on the back, sometimes longer, but very, very heavy and reinforced. You're talking maybe an, an inch and a half in cross-section, an inch and a quarter in cross-section, yeah. and then a spike on the top sometimes. So you can thrust with it a little bit. And the idea is you use this on horseback. Because the idea is this thing's moving quick. You're on horseback. It's moving very quickly. It's got a horse behind it for weight. So you don't need to put objective weight on the hammer. It just needs to move fast. And then you need a very small striking area because you're concentrating force on the smallest possible area to do the most damage. That's that's what an edge is, essentially. It's taking all the force that your sword has and putting it on the smallest possible point, which is your edge, so you can slice through things and thus cause damage. And the same is true with a hammer. It's 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 very... I'm, I'm just Googling it now, actually, and it's not that dissimilar to the modern DIY claw hammer. Hmm. In in many ways. I mean, if you, if you ignore the... I mean, the head is pretty much the same. And certainly, I don't know, the back bit of it, I don't know any of the terminology of it. The, the, the back is normally called a beak, or a bec de corban, a crow's beak. Yeah, the beak is pretty much, if, if if you just do it as one solid piece instead of it forking off to, you know, prize nails off, you're pretty much there, actually. Mm. And, and yeah, and from an imaginative standpoint, I think pretty much most people listening to this will have used a claw hammer at some point, mm. and they'll know that even with that, you can you could do a huge amount of damage to someone. Mm. Even without the momentum of a horse and the extra length of of the uh, the shaft, mm. and the idea behind it is to either hit people in the head. Let's you're you're, you're assuming an armored target, so another knight. Um, this is very much a knightly weapon. This is not the the weapon of a commoner at all. These are very specifically made, very well made. They have to be very hard steel. That's hard to achieve. So it's it's for for knights who are probably going to be fighting other knights. So you want that use the hammer to to ring someone's bell to you know hit them in the helmet to perhaps give them a concussion through the helmet you know make them the head move around enough that they get concussed as their brain bounces around inside the skull, or to um, bend plates of armor so that they don't articulate anymore so you can't say move your shoulder anymore, and the spike is there to cause damage. You know, maybe it can penetrate plate armor if you get a good shot on, but maybe slightly more useful against people who aren't armored. So people who have padded armor, for example, rather than full plate armor or chain armor, 
would be very useful for puncturing the holes in chain armor and going straight through it. I imagine it would probably be quite good to hook someone with as well. I mean, very much actually, so, yeah. Yeah. Grab a, you know, get it under plate and draw them in so you can get them with your dagger or something like that, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That is the the thing that kind of gets me about the, the design of these huge-headed hammers that can, oh, these people are really strong, they're carting this thing around, they can swing it around, is, okay, you take a sledgehammer and you swing that around with one hand or you swing that and try and do some damage with it. It's not going to happen. You're going to be so unbelievably slow with this thing. And especially if you're swinging it around with two hands and just sort of and, and not altering your grip on the weapon, is anyone who's used a sledgehammer knows that you have to grip it right up near the head and then when you actually want to hammer something in the ground, as you swing, you bring your hands together at the bottom of the shaft. And that's what produces the force. And then when you pick up again, you move your hand back up to the head. So that's what you have to do with it. All, all of that can be gathered just with a simple Google search of, of Warhammer. You can just find one and say, oh, right, okay, that makes sense. Here's the thing that will bake your noodle. The Warhammer is, even when they're, they're specifically historically made with a lighter head uh with you know an actual realistic size head is still a slow unwieldy not very useful lump of metal on a very fast very versatile stick mm. so your primary weapon the thing you're going to be using most in that weapon is the stick that it's on because that's the quickest thing there is so for example if you've got a short say two foot long one you can use that to trap people. You can use that to uh, defend against other weapons. And very often there's what's called langets. These are um, metal strips that keep the head on the, the stick and they run the entire length of the shaft just to give it some support. And they're kind of riveted on. So you can stop sword blows with that. But instead of just stopping a sword blow, you stop it between your hands. So you've got you know your hands, one near the head, one near the bottom. You stop the sword blow and then you do what I can describe as kayaking. Which is where you, you sort of, you, you circle your two hands like you're paddling a kayak. And that produces knocking the sword, you know, so that results in knock the sword out of the way. It brings the butt on, online for a nice little jab to the face. So if uh, someone is rolling against your AC, for example, you've got a, a warhammer, then it might be that you, you brought that up and you defended with the shaft of your warhammer. You, def- you deflected it aside. And then on your next go, you sort of, you hit them with it. So what you've done is you've, punched forward with your left hand, as it were, your bottom hand, and deflected it. And then all he did was jab him a little bit with the, with the butt end and then bring your hands together and smash him in the face with the objective weight of your huge, unwieldy hammer. So it becomes a lot more exciting at that point. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the, the, the theme of this is going to be this: that the, the fantasy weapon, although it may look amazing, it does kind of stifle imagination. Because actually, the traditional image of the massive stone head on a huge staff of the, the dwarf kind of wields is the equivalent of carrying around a boulder. Hmm. And if you say to someone, "Right, your weapon is a boulder. What do you do with it?" We go, "Well, I clock him over the head with it." Yeah. And, you, and you're never really going. You're never actually really ever going to be able to think of anything other than just bludgeoning someone with it. Whereas if you do start to think of it as a a weapon with, you know, different aspects to it, it's got a even if you ignore the shaft, I mean, you've got the spiked end, you've got the flat end. Uh, a number of them did also have at the end of the shaft, um, like a spike at the bottom of that as well, didn't yeah. they? So essentially, there's three different bits of the weapon that you can use in a multiple of different ways, and that just 
totally opens up your imagination to what you could actually do with it. Even stuff like um, if you're using a traditional fantasy Warhammer and you're climbing up the side of an embattlement because you're trying to sneak into a castle or something, it's a dead weight around your back. But if you've got a Warhammer with a spike on it, well, I can use that to maybe help climb myself up and use it like a, a an ice pick to, to to get purchase on stuff. And voila, you're rolling with advantage whilst going up a rock face. Absolutely. And there's no reason that you can't put that in. It doesn't change the mechanics of it one iota. Mm. So look at and see how you can crowbar in all those dodgy rolls that you want to convince your DM of. Because your DM might be thinking, oh, is Warhammer this big unwieldy lump? No, you tell him. Actually, my Warhammer has a bit of Corbin on the back. And the, the, the spike on the bottom is often called a Q. Uh, once we get the, uh, the term queuing as into, like, uh, or a cue stick for, for, for pool or snooker. Mm. Um, that action of, of threading through and, and, and shoving, um, across, across your hands, sort of moving something through your hand to poke something else, it's called queuing. Because it's an offensive technique, um, that's written down in, um, uh, I think it's some 16th century fight manuscripts. Uh, and in the same way that a longsword, for example, has quillens, so it has a crossguard. And dear God, fantasy artists, quillens, if they curve, if a crossguard curves, it curves away from the hand. Think about it. Think. Um, <laughs> it's, it's obvious when you think about it, but there's a real trend now showing them curving backwards and curving towards the hand. And it's like, it, it's going to hit your forearms all the time it's just unwieldy it's going to change how you you can do anything with it for the worse so there's a reason we didn't do that in real life guys but you can hit someone with the quillens you can um either jam it straight into their face or you can turn the sword around grab the hilt and use it like a hammer or, or you can hit them with a pommel as well where we get the term pummeling from so every part of the weapon is something you can use and a warhammer simply focuses your attention right at their head but you can use all of it. Uh, you can use it to trap people as well. There's, there's plenty of techniques in, in the fight manuscripts, um, to use the, the short, you know, two foot weapon to, uh, lock someone's arm up and put them on the ground. So let's say you're taking someone down and you want to do non-lethal damage. You want to take them but maybe that could how, be how you do it is, is that you just thread them together. You basically use your warhammer like a yoke on them and sort of tie up their arm maybe tie up the other one and then stick them on the ground and hence you know and they're having trouble breathing because shoulders are pinned back and it restricts your chest or um you're going to put them into a, into a lock where you're kind of choking them out your the the shaft on sorry the stick on one side of the neck and kind of like locking them up on the other and just go for it you might use it to trip someone with you can this is actually from from a real manuscript uh from the Fiore de Libieri manuscript is that you tie a rock in a sock so you get a um a piece of material uh, a piece of fabric that's say maybe two foot long once you've tied it to the the warhammer and you put a rock in the end and you've got something that you can now use to start tripping people up with it gives you a lot more reach and then once they come close all you have to do is hold your stick up and it'll drop down into your hand. You just grab it and you can keep going and it won't, it won't be flailing around tying you down. So there's so many things you can do with this thing because it's a pretty weighty, unwieldy head on a very, very useful stick. Mm. Um, and I, I want to see people stop saying, I hit it with my hammer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you can yeah. throw these things. You can wield other weapons as well. Um, there's a, a, a German treatise. Uh, from around the 16th century, sorry, no, the 15th century, that has 
a, a formal dueling situation. This is a judicial duel to decide matters of law, where if you lose in whatever manner, you, you die. So even if you get knocked out, you're taken away and hanged. So you would start with three weapons, and it would be a longsword, a spear, and a poleaxe. And a poleaxe is a warhammer with a, a six-foot-long, or five to six-foot-long shaft rather than a two-foot. That's the only difference. And the first move, throw the spear. Second move, throw the poleaxe. <laughs> Third move, throw the longsword. And as the last thing, they would have a dagger as backup. And as this guy was batting away all the things that you've thrown at him, you'd be on him with the yeah. dagger, and he'd be too out of position to defend against the dagger that's going to go into his eyes. So, uh, you know, you, you can throw your weapon as well. You can do all sorts with it. And I can speak from personal experience. Um, when someone throws their longsword at you for the first time, you are so utterly bewildered by what the hell are you doing? Why? Oh, what the fuck? Ah! They're on you before you even have time to react. Yeah. It's a trick that doesn't really work twice. Yeah. But, um, you don't need it to work twice. No, no. You really, <laughs> got you really a longsword in them. Um, there's a there's a thing that goes on here, which is something that, as a martial arts instructor, I see all the time, is that people limit themselves without you telling them to do it, because you've made some assumptions about the situation and don't question them. So you might not be aware of them. So, for example, you're fighting someone with a longsword, you've assumed they're not going to throw it at you. You don't know you've assumed that, it's just it hasn't occurred to you. But it's an assumption that you've made to discount that information to say oh, they're not going to do that. And if you do that for yourself and say, actually, I could throw this at them, you'll suddenly think to yourself, they could throw that at me. Mm. So uh, it opens things up to the DM as well. So as the more creative the players get, the DM can go, oh, oh that's a good idea. Maybe I could recycle that in some way uh, and say, well, instead of this um, this creature that gets a grapple, maybe say, I'm going to give them a slightly longer weapon with a stick element to it and say well he's going to tie you up with this and that's what he does rather than he's got an extra pair of arms or some shit i mean <laughs> yeah use everything but use it in odd ways so the warhammer is a really good one for that and, uh, and it's actually a pretty good thrown weapon because if you throw it after about uh, 10 feet or so it levels out because all the weight is at one end so it's like an arrow so the stick acts as drag the head acts as the guide of where the force is going. Mm. And if it's got a spear point on the end and you throw it, it'll actually, instead of turning it end over end over end, it'll actually just fly pretty straight. Actually, as a man who is very much aware of the mechanics of the game, uh, does the game actually allow for stuff like that? It does. I mean, it doesn't say you can't. There are some specific throwing hammers, but if you've got any weapon, you can throw it. There's nothing stopping you throwing um, a spear. There's nothing stopping you throwing um, a sword. There's nothing stopping you throwing a flail. It doesn't matter. If you've got a thing that you can have in your hand, you can probably make it leave your hand at speed. It's just the DM would probably maybe want to rule for disadvantage in that, in 5e, or, or give some penalties in, in other systems. There's no reason you can't do that. Okay, fair enough. Like a, throwing a flail might be a bit odd because you've got all sorts of physics going on there. Flails are another thing. Flails are just useless. Stop using flails, people. They're horrid. They, they, they were never combat effective. They're absolutely rubbish. Um, because as soon as you hit something with a flail, the energy dissipates. Whereas if you hit something with something with a, a solid shaft on it, rather than a chain, you're still putting energy into it as it's hitting. With a flail, it's, it's already rebounding as soon as it's hit. So you're not transferring as much energy as you could. Do you think we've got the Warhammer? What, what do you think? I think, I, I think we've probably about covered that one, yeah. Yeah, cool. So let's move on to shields. 
So here's a thing that um, a lot of people get misled by, and specifically misled by in fantasy stuff, because how many times have you seen a warrior type or a fighter type illustrated with an absolutely huge shield mm-hmm. and a two-handed sword? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. If you've got a two-handed sword, the reason it's two-handed is you need two hands to wield it. You can't wield it. That's the definition of a two-handed sword is you cannot wield it with one hand. Some shorter long swords, which you'd call a bastard sword nowadays, you might be able to use one-handed, but not for that long. It's, you're suboptimal. Single-handed swords, yeah, fine, you can use that with a shield. But a shield takes up a hand. There are no shields ever that do not require your hand to use them. There are no shields that just strap to your, your arm. Because ultimately, if something straps to your arm, it can turn. Your, your arm is, is, I mean, it's, it's not a smooth cylinder. It's not, it's not a perfect cylinder, but it is round and things can turn on it, even if you buckled them on. So there's a, almost an assumption that if you've got a shield, you can still use a two-handed weapon of some sort. And it's just, it's just false, completely false. But where it comes in is a misunderstanding of the word buckler. It's because the buckler is see, is in many systems shown to be a, uh, a, a shield that buckles to your forearm, because mm-hmm. buckler, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just people who didn't want to look something up in an encyclopedia in the 1970s that you, allows you to use a two-handed sword or, or allows you to use a bow or something you would have to use two hands for. Except the word buckler doesn't come from the English word buckle. It comes from the French boucler, which means shield. Or actually it means shield boss. And a buckler is a very small shield there are two types of shield. Let's go into this. There's two types of shield. There's one which is held on the arm and hand. So there's a strap for the arm near the elbow. And then there's a handle or another strap for the hand. So you would, you would hold it in your hand. There are another type of shield, which is the boss held shield, which uh, think of, think of like the Roman army shield where you've got a, a, a big curved shield, but with a, a metal dome in the center. And there's a handle in that dome and you put your hand into that dome and the handle is recessed into it. So that's, that's a boss-held shield. Like Anglo-Saxon round shields, for example, would be like that. And a buckler is a boss-held shield. In fact, it's basically just a shield boss. And it can be mm-hmm. like nine inches wide and literally just a, a round disc with a bit of a rim on it. Or it can be about 12 inches. And the biggest are about 14 inches before you, it starts getting too unwieldy. And the idea is you hold it in your hand and you hold it as far out away from you as you possibly can to act as protection for your other hand. You think you've got a, an ar- a, like an arming sword, a single-handed sword, and you strike someone with it, and try and strike someone in the head with it to kill them. What's your response to that? You're going to try and hit the arm that's extended out. Precisely. Because yeah. they've extended a target towards you that is not protected by this cruciform hilt. So they're going to try and cut the arm. So you need to protect your hand, and you stick the buckler over the top of your exposed hand. And then when you get close enough, you can hit him with it. Um, you can hit him with the rim, you can hit him with the boss itself, you can use it to, instead of striking and causing damage, you can use it to trap them. So here's a grapple. A lot of people struggle with grapples uh, in RPGs because the rules tend to be a little bit complicated. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But it's also that not a lot of people grapple, and you don't see it very often. It's not something that people are exposed to in media quite a lot. You see people hitting each other, you see people striking in action films but you don't generally see grappling because it doesn't translate on camera very well 
But one of the things you can do with the grappling with, with a buckler, for example, is to get close to someone and lay it onto their arms. So if you get their arms low, you put your buckler on it and you pin their arms to their body, whereas you can come up with your weapon and smack them in the face. You know, if you punch someone in the face while you're holding a sword, you'll hit them with your quillin so you can blind them. Ah, you bastard. <laughs> sometimes they were sharp for that reason. Or if their arms are over their head and they're about to come in and strike you and go, ah, and smack you on the top of the head, you can put your buckler up and just stop their arms moving. In that you don't take the blow necessarily from the weapon on the shield. The shield can intersect with that person's body. And the advantage of that is, firstly, you get close enough so that you can stick them with the pointy end of your weapon, whatever that may be. Or if you've got your hand on their arms, essentially, you can start grappling. So you can start wrapping your arm, your shield arm, around their arms and pin them together and just keep hitting them. So you've successfully grappled by pinning their arms underneath yours. I think it's the, the assumption that most people make with this is that, that if you are using a sword and a shield, one is for fighting, one is defending. And it's black and white. And they don't quite seem to understand that they are both defensive and both offensive weapons. You can just be, you, I mean, you can easily kill someone with a shield as easily as you could do a sword, you know, mm. hit them Absolutely. in the right place at the right point at the right time. So, but yeah, but again, um, narratively, thematically, yeah, people just assume that all you, all you can really do with your shield is hide behind it. And, and likewise with the, the sword that you've got, let's, let's say you've got a sword and shield going on, a sword and buckler going on. You can defend with that sword, or you could defend with a buckler and still get hit. So if someone just misses your AC, for example, it wasn't that they just got around your defense. It's that you put your buckler in the way, but it turned in the hand, you know, it's, um, because you can't, you're, you're, you're gripping like a, a cylinder handle, and that will turn in your hand. So your buckler, instead of just facing the same way forward all the time, can actually turn uh, and change angle. So if you hit it hard enough, the sword will come, hit the buckler, turn it in your hand, and then go and hit the arm behind it. If you're relying on that solely for defense, you've got to support it with your sword so that the, the weapon is trapped. So it doesn't, it's not going to go anywhere else. It's going to hit your sword and the buckler and stop between them or, or, or you know, uh, be dealt with in some other way. If it just hits the buckler, it's probably going to go through it. You know, it's, it's really hard to defend with just a buckler. Mm. Once you start thinking about that, it, it's kind of, well, I've got to defend and attack with this sword. So why not? defend and attack with this buckler as well and do you know what if you get close enough as well and you're having that core a core moment if they call it they call it when you sort of uh, your sword is on theirs and you're like close enough to reach out and touch that person you know um you can see look like, the two heroes come together in the same like close-up shot or something you know you see the swords cross between them and it's really dramatic or whatever i just keep thinking to myself why hasn't he a detesticled that guy on the way in. So why didn't he kick him in the balls on the way in? And if he's that close, why isn't he headbutting him or biting him? Yep. It's, I actually, I saw a YouTube video about this, uh, trying to dispel, um, it was two American guys doing Hema, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the fact that, yeah, when you get to that point where the blades are crossed and they're pushing against each other, you're never going to do anything because all you are trying to do is push through somebody else's sword. And even if you manage to overpower them because you're stronger than them, you're still not going to go through their sword. It's a big chunk of metal. So mm. all you got to do is, you know, just pull away, strike or twist around or headbutt. Yeah. It, it is the most pointless TV cinema sword fighting thing that happens that that just really is terrible <laughs> it is the worst out of all the various possible things that you can do in it's essentially the, it's the equivalent of a boxing film 
where um, in a real boxing match, if if they did the kind of roundhouses and massive uppercuts that they did in Rocky films, they'd be on their ass in 30 seconds. Because the other guy would just jab them four or five times while they were warming up. Hmm. And it's the same kind of thing. And it's it's that idea of uh, the black and white thing is, okay, my sword blade is the thing that I'm going to kill this guy with. Well, hang on a second. If you're locked up, core core, staring into this guy's eyes lovingly across the swords or whatever, then, well my trained response would be I take one hand off a sword or whatever or, and, and I'd shove his elbow to one side while I brained him with the pommel. So I just pick up my, my, my the sword hilt, hit him in the face with it as I shoved his weapon aside. And that's not even a grapple. You could rule that as just, this is a weapon hit. Do you know what I mean? You, you just roll you just roll your to hit, but you can flavor that as much as you want. It's not a case of I'm five feet away from this guy and I roll to hit, and so I step forward and I hit him with my sword. It's not. It's like, okay, we're in this this struggle. We're you know we're we're body on body, and I just I I push his elbow and it, it upsets him for a second. I just clock him with um, the back end of my sword. I think where the, some of the problem comes into this is the fact that because um, it all depends a bit on the agreement you have with your GM. In the if you want to change from a longsword to a dagger, for example, they might say that's an action because you're changing from one weapon to the other. Mm-hmm. So actually being in the middle of combat where you are engaged with the sword, the player will automatically think, well, I can't stab, I can't take my hand off and stab him with my dagger because that would be an action. And therefore, they kind of dis- you discount it as an option because you feel mm. like it's going to be a waste of your action. So, like, likewise with the DM is if you've got a two-handed sword again, you can hold it in one hand. Mm. You're just not going to be very effective with it. And if you look at the longsword rules, there's there's a rule for it with two hands and a rule for it with one. And I would just take that as a as an inspiration to say, okay, let's let's say you're in that situation where there's a really quick opportunity that you know someone's just draw his knife and raise it straight upwards and just cut him on the way up, and it's really quick. Okay, fine. And there's no action for that, but you're going to have to take one hand off your sword. So if you want to do something with the sword next, well, you have to either drop that dagger, or you can have to sheathe it with an action, or you're going to be at disadvantage. You know, you're you're yeah. going to have reduced damage. You're going to be slower to hit, or something like that. Just basic common sense. You've got one hand on your sword, and you used to have two. It's not going to be as good with one hand. Um, it's not necessarily going to cripple you, but the GM can rule to make that interesting. The player has just done something interesting. Let them do it. I mean, dear mm. God, if a player is coming to you in combat and saying, I want to do this crazy thing, let them do it and then just work the consequences afterwards. That's that's the beauty of role-playing games is that it's not a case of, oh, well, you know, I didn't have that preconceived notion of what one should do with a weapon, so I'm not going to let you do with it. Or I'm going to use the system to curtail what you can and can't do or what you can and can't choose to do. It's we're just going to roll with it and then see what happens. Just say yes. Um, and it's going to make life a lot more interesting. It's not just, I hit it with my sword. Oh, right, okay, I want to see if I can hit it with my dagger now. Oh, you'd have to do, use another action for that. It's say yes. It's, it's the, the first law of improv. Say yes. Mm. Yes and. Yes but. I think I think also, uh, while we're on the subject of, of, of the rules and um, various weapons, I always think, that because you're always trying to get a very well-balanced group, so you'll always have a fighter, you'll always have a healy, rogue, da-da-da-da-da, you tend not to have multiple characters that would both have shields. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I've yet to play a game where there's more than one person carrying a shield, because it's always the tank. Yeah, as soon as one person says, I've got a shield, another person will go, okay, that's fine, I don't have trouble. Exactly, which I think is a bit of a missed opportunity sometimes, because um, having done LARPing, mm-hmm. which is, um, for people not familiar with it, is essentially D&D, but in 
real life. No, that's a terrible live idea. action role play. It, 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 yeah. it's, it's where you, you act out the things you want to do. Uh, you've got costumes and stuff and there are DMs around who adjudicate things. Um, but it's, it's essentially a lot more of the improv theater kind of mindset out in the woods or in a setting in the real world. Um, and you act through it. So you, you get that horrible, um, cliche of someone throwing tennis balls going fireball, fireball. But- <laughs> yeah. Essentially, um, I, I stand by the combat because they do it with foam weapons and it's, it's safe. So you're not allowed to thrust because there's a core in there that might split and all. Fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I'm, I'm not going to take the Mickey out of them. Um, and I, the reason I'm not taking the Mickey is because of one man. I'm not going to name him because he doesn't know I'm going to talk about him, but he's a guy who comes to a, a HEMA event every year. So Steve um, Perry comes to this event. Steve Perry yeah. comes to this event. I, I've run what is, I think, the largest HEMA tournament, the largest sword-based tournament in the world for the last five years. Um, and if anyone has a tournament out there that has more than 120 entrants and has more than a 1,000 bouts in it, um, let me know, because I'll take that off my CV. <laughs> so far, no one's stepped up. He turned up to this. It's a two-day tournament, and it's you can fight whoever you like with whatever you like as long as it's a common rule set. Uh, that that rule set's set in advance. So as long as you're following those rules and you're safe, you know, you've got the right kit, then anything goes, essentially. And you get a lot of bouts happening. This guy is principally a LARPer, and he fights with a sword and shield in LARP, or maybe two swords in LARP. He's done a bit of... Um, study of HEMA on his own, but not nothing structured. He's done some sport fencing. Again, not a massive amount. But he's very competitive. He likes fighting. He's a lovely guy. He fought a 100 bouts in two days against the great and the good and the beginners and whoever would come as well. You know, People who've been winning tournaments internationally against people who've never fought before. And he would fight all of them alike. And he did not lose a single bout in two days. A 100 bouts undefeated. And I've never seen the like since, and I probably won't. Because he's retired from that tournament, so he can compete in other tournaments. It does tend to ruin your body a bit. Um, and he did LARP, so there is, there is wisdom to be found <laughs> in doing a lot of fights, in doing stuff with lots of different, um, weapons on different terrain. Um, but we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, we are. No, the, the, yeah, you, you was, were talking, yeah. What I was actually uh, going to do there, and in fact, actually doing an entire conversation about LARP at some point would be, be an interesting thing. That would be, yeah. Quite we'll a few have to things do that. Saying that, but no, um, the, the, the group, the group that I'm part of is, um, or I've been to is all kind of, me- um, Roman, Carthaginian, Egyptian, that kind of time period. Uh, and I'm with Carthaginia and I take part in, uh, the shield wall, mm-hmm. essentially. And because like I said, and, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing thing. It's, it, it's, it's worked for so long because it's fantastic but because you're in a situation with D&D where you only ever have one person with a shield you never find yourself in that situation where maybe you could take advantage of that and you'd only need two people to make a mini shield wall and you'd essentially be able to you'd at the very least be able to get a bit of advantage on on defense or uh, you'd certainly be able to protect people a lot better well in D&D 5e uh, it's not come up very often in our game because Tom still doesn't know how to play the game uh, <laughs> is that there's a thing uh, which is you have a fighting style as a fighter, and one of those is the shield style. And it's that you can impose 
disadvantage on an attack roll that someone's making to someone who's adjacent to you. So if someone next to you is getting you know, getting attacked, you can put your shield in the way and uh, impose disadvantage on the attack roll. Rather than give someone a bonus to AC, you just say, right, that's disadvantage. So with the shield wall, you would be able to compound that. You would say, okay, both of you are doing that. You use your reaction to do it. Um, and in that case, you'd say maybe flavor that as that's you maintain discipline in the shield wall and not breaking off. Is That's your reaction gone for the round. But the guy next to you is going to have a better chance of surviving. Mm. And so are you. You're both protecting each other. Um, I mean, you could flavor that as being back-to-back as well, I suppose. But a shield wall works fantastically. And you could even convince that... Yeah, I'd be perfectly convinced that if two or three people had a shield wall going, then the, the, the caster behind them is also protected because no one can get through. Mm. This, this goes on to the, the next kind of design of shield. You know, the big say, boss-held shield, or a kite shield, which is a um, strap to the arm and, and, a, and a handle, where you've got the, the medium-sized shield going on. And that is a, a lot more interesting as well, because it's effective. We want to get this thing over. You watch Lord of the Rings, where someone, uh, what's it, Aragorn, hits an orc in the chest. That orc's wearing plate armour. He, he just pissed that guy off. That's all he did. Um, and yet, he falls over and dies. Like, did he do, did he die of embarrassment? <laughs> that, that's the, well, that's the more, you know, maybe he had a heart attack. Um, it's far more likely that he died of fear than if he died of any sort of thing about that weapon. Cause armor works. This is the thing. Unless you have, unless you get some magic and firearms and stuff, armor works. Full stop. Armor is better than weapons. That's why it existed. I have owned a set of plate armor once upon a time when I was a bit wealthier than I am now. And it is not something you want to put on. It's not something you want to wear. It's like these these guys sort of role-playing people who in plate armour who are kidding about in it all day. I've worn plate armour for a day. I don't want to do it ever again in my life, ever. It's not pleasant. You can't sit down really well. You have, you, you've got to sit on special stools so the armour doesn't come up and choke you. Um, you can't lie down because then you stop breathing. You... Um, you change shape during the day as well. Like you can't eat, you can't go to the loo, you can't basically do anything uh, except sweat and suffer. Uh, I mean, bear that in mind. If, you, if you're thinking about the armor that people are making, look at those tables where it says, what is it to doff it? What is it to don it? Um, that matters when you're wearing. I mean, in fact, you can get away with chain, maybe. Um, you can get away with or, you know leather armor or whatever you can do but someone's wearing plate armor you punish that motherfucker <laughs> they've got a massive advantage in ac but that armor is unwieldy the most common way people would carry armor of that sort is in a single large barrel filled with straw so you're not getting into that anytime quickly you've got to have a cart you've got to have staff <laughs> you know it's, it's a pain so uh yeah think about that so if they've got the massive massive advantage of that you know was it 1920 AC or something? And they put a shield on it as well. And no one's going to hit them. No one's ever going to hit them apart from magic. So you make them pay for that. So you've got these shields, these big shields. The trick is getting around them because they work. Mm. If I just swing towards your head, I'm never going to hit you if you're, you're carrying a shield. There's no chance. I have to swing towards your head as a feint and then go for your leg because you raised your shield up to protect your head. If I go anywhere in your body, you're not going to move your shield. You're just going to stand there and laugh at me. 
This is actually kind of where you start getting into the realms of maybe carrying weapons with you specifically for certain situations. Mm. Um, what is, what's the spear that the Romans used that they would throw and it'd hit your shield and it essentially just turn it into a dead weight? The pelum. Pelum, that's the mm. one. Yeah, a couple of those with you. If you've got, you know, the space and the weight capacity and stuff with mm. it. I mean, come up against someone with shields, lob one of those at them, takes Yeah, them. and as, as a DM as well, you know, um, if someone were throwing a piercing weapon or something that was capable of piercing, you know, like a, a warhammer with a spike on the end or a sword or a, a spear or a javelin or something, as someone who had a shield, and I thought to myself, it's a wooden shield, and they threw it at them, I would say make another roll, make a luck roll or make a strength check or something like that. See if it sticks in his shield. And if it sticks in their shield, well, they're either going to have disadvantage or something or they're going to have a, a, a negative to their AC or... Um, they're going to drop their shield because it's become unwieldy. It's, it's a really easy thing to do, just to say, let's let's throw this in the mix, let's try that. Because it, it's from those happy little accidents that you wouldn't think about, that all these epic moments come from. That here's this guy that you had no chance of hitting, and suddenly he's lost his shield. Right, okay, let's, let's go for this now. And everyone's going to change their tactics. It changes a fight if someone's suddenly lost two on their AC. That's a 10% chance, uh, 10% greater chance of hitting him. He's no longer able to impose disadvantage on you. So go for it. Mm. I, th- I think this kind of like moves us maybe into um, stuff you should carry around with you that aren't even classed as weapons, but you can totally use in combat, which is play dirty. Carry a small pouch of sand around with you. Absolutely. At, at the beginning of every single combat, take a handful of this sand and just throw it in the face of the nearest person to you. You know, it might not hit every single time, but you know. <laughs> Rapier combat is is uh, like that in um in in the real world. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, a rapier is a, a, a long piercing weapon. Think three musketeers. Um, except you don't ever cut with a rapier. It's rubbish for cutting with a rapier. You you, you hit uh, with a point, and it's all about angles. So deflecting someone's weapon as you stab them, for example. Several rapier treatises out there which talk about dirty fighting. It's about little dirty tricks to do, and and. Because it's a civilian weapon, it's a civilian sidearm, you've been carrying it all day, every day, whereas a longsword, you wouldn't really carry it in public, you just carry it to war. Uh, so the, the civilian weapons are really sword and buckler and, and, and rapier. So you'd have companion weapons with rapier, because if you've got a single-handed weapon, you might as well have another weapon, well, why not? And so you, you'd have a dagger, or you'd have, um, uh, say, a, a little buckler or shield type thing. But then there were these things to say, well, this is a real world thing. There's going to be situations going to use this. So there's things you wouldn't necessarily think of weapons. So cloaks is the most common one. You would be wearing a cloak. Um, so if you've got a big, heavy cloak, big, long, heavy cloak, you'd wind it around your arm to provide um, a, a sort of armor, I suppose, sort of shield on your arm. And you'd have some of it dangling below so you could use that to sweep aside your opponent's sword. But the way in which you wind it on your arm is that you run backwards sort of sort of sidestepping i suppose so that you're you're presenting this and sort of whipping it towards your enemy and lifting dirt from the street into his eyes so you're like waving dirt in his face while you're doing this because why not and um sometimes you wouldn't even do that you just pick it up and you throw it at them hoping it lands on their head and you stick them through it while they're blind or you throw it at their weapon you know, so an opportune moment, you just throw the weapon, or you try and tempt them out. This is the the bard's forte, is bluff. How do I win combat with bluff? Well, this is how. So you you take your your cloak and you 
um, this is an actual technique, I kid you not, from a 17th century manuscript where you put your cloak out and you um, trail it in front of you. And you sort of you make these little stabs in, little feints or whatever, and you're trying to bluff the guy that he could get you. Like, if he made a, a good hard thrust at you, a good good big lunge at you, just about getting you, you're trying to get him to overextend himself so that he steps on the edge of your cloak. And then as soon as he does, you rip it out from under him. <laughs> Um, and as he lands on the floor, you just go and stab him in the face. Although my personal favourite of all time, and so, uh, for your bag of sand, the yep. one that's in the actual manuscript is a bag of pebbles. So you go yes. as, as if as if you're saying, here, have all my money, and you throw that at them, and it gives you time to access your weapon and stab them. Because mm. um, drawing a weapon is a thing, you know? <laughs> I've got to admit, I haven't really done much of this, because the previous characters I've been using, because Lord Robert... This kind of behaviour was a bit un- beneath him, and um, with Rufus, he kind of, being a magic user, he pretty much does everything at distance anyway, so, hmm. but I, I certainly remember when we first started playing and we weren't recording any of this, and I was playing uh, the Marcus character, he he would try this shit all the time. Um, you know, kind of like it failed, not 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 through anyone's fault other than my own dice rolling ability. <laughs> but you know, he would actually try and do this stuff to try and give himself advantage. And I kind of yeah, I kind of miss playing a, a character like that where I can do stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, well, magic lends itself to a lot of improv as well. Mm. Uh, which is the point of it is is give someone a magic spell and they go, how can I use this in a myriad different ways? Because I've only got certain number of these and people have a lot of imagination about how to use spells you know, how to use minor illusions and cantrips and things like that but then you give them a simple weapon and they go oh pointy end goes in the, the opponent that's it yeah I think you know where's, actually, the, where's the imagination I think I think one of the simplest things that I've, I've yet to hear anyone doing is um, you, know, I, you can cast things to, in, to be invisible hmm. why does nobody just make their sword invisible because as soon as you attack someone it reappears but that first hit yeah exactly the, you are gonna, you're gonna get an advantage. You're gonna, you can pretty much just walk straight up to them and just walk at them with the blade out, and they wouldn't be any the wiser. Mm. So, you know, precisely. Mm. Um, so, uh, was it the last one, which is my personal favourite of all time, is rapier and uh, lantern, and that is the, the city ordinance uh, in various uh, cities in the southern part of Germany and the uh, various parts of France. Is that if it was nighttime and you were a a person of good standing, you had to have a light with you, and that light would be either a torch uh, or, more commonly, a lantern. And um, uh, in various parts of Italy and France, uh, it, the common thing was to have an oil lamp that on the end of a chain, because if you hold an oil lamp, it's going to burn your hand. Essentially, it's made of metal, so you have it on the end of a chain, so that it's not going to burn your hand. So you're carrying it up high, and you've got your rapier at your side in its sheath. And you're accosted. So as you retreat from them, you whip this thing around your head and you break the oil lamp on your assailant, covering them in burning oil. And the rapier technique is to very calmly, slowly draw your weapon and deliver a coup de grace and put him out of his misery. (laughs) Um, So there's all sorts you can do that make it easier to use your weapon that you can, in game terms, give yourself advantages with. And... What I would urge everyone to do is draw your weapon. You know, physically draw your weapon. Like everyone wants to draw their character and no one can because only certain very clever people are good at art. Um, and everyone else is thinking, Oh God, no, if I, if I draw it, it's going to look rubbish, but at least draw your equipment, your weapon and say, this is what I have. Because if you're thinking about it, as you think about it, you frame it 
in a box of your assumptions. This, this, this almost physical box that stops you doing things with it. So if you draw it, suddenly it has this kind of character of its own. It becomes something outside of your head, literally. It's on a piece of paper in front of you. And you think, how can I use all of that to help me? Which is a good point to end on, I think. Yeah, I think that it seems as good a point as any. <laughs> Excellent. Well, well, we'll see if anyone thinks this is interesting at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to sign off. The actual plays aren't going to stop. We have got um, another one coming out soon. And we're, cer- we're certainly going to do a lot more of the um, the fiction and stuff like that. But we're not going to have a, a weekly release schedule. It's just going to be whenever I can be bothered to start to do some editing and, you know, when life gets a little bit less chaotic. But in the meantime, if you do want a weekly podcast where they really try hard to, to get out on, <laughs> on time, um, I do recommend How We Roll Podcast. It's really good. They do Call of Cthulhu. They've just started um, a 5e campaign um, to sort of go in between their Call of Cthulhu scenarios. Um, I played an Inspector's game with them. Uh, they've done a couple of indie games there's a good amount of variation. There's a good amount of through line with the story as well. Characterization is great. They're funny people. So check them out. If you want to get in touch with us, it's swordnutradio at gmail.com, swordnutradio at gmail.com. And give us your random facts because we love them. And if you want to get on touch on Twitter, it's at swordnutradio. Thanks for listening. Yep. See you next time. Bye. Intro and outro music was Grind by John Paul Jones. If you've got any questions about the things we were talking about, or you want to suggest new topics or ways we can improve this kind of show, please do let us know at Swordnut Radio on Twitter or swordnutradio at gmail.com by email. Thanks for listening. Now, back off. <laughs> <laughs>